I really appreciate Thomas Merton and uh, reading from Thomas Merton. I uh, appreciate, if not, if for no other reason than uh, uh, with Thomas Merton, he speaks uh, a truth that catches my soul. Uh, I spent most of my lifetime, and even today, what I like to call posturing. Uh, that is, I have decided long ago who I would like you to think I am, and I pretend to be that person. I pretend to be that person. I pretend to be that person so you might like me, so that you might appreciate me, so that I might be the spiritual person that you always dreamed your pastor would be, uh, always imagined your pastor would be, if you ever imagined a pastor, I suppose. I've spent a lifetime uh, packing and carefully managing the mask. Now, over the last uh, 10 years, uh, God and I have had an ongoing wrestling match. I could have just as easily preached today the story of, of uh, in the, from the Old Testament toward the end of Genesis when Jacob is coming home and, and uh, Jacob is wrestling with an angel or with God all night long because God and I have wrestled over the last 10 years because I was convinced I had to be a certain kind of person for people to believe I was a good pastor and instead of just being the person God made me to be. I clearly did not believe I was infinitely precious nor unconditionally loved. I believed it was all about conditions uh, conducive to other people liking me. So I postured, I put on a mask. And I suspect that if you're really honest with yourself, you spend a lot of your life doing the exact same thing. You put on a mask so that you can fit in. You put on a mask so that your peers will like you, so that your coworkers will like you, so that the people in the grocery store will like you. You put on a mask when you hang out with people that you don't really like, but you need to have like you so that you can keep your job. You put on a mask when you go to school. You put on a mask when you hang out with the people that you say are your closest friends, but if they really knew, you're convinced, if they really knew who was behind the mask, they wouldn't like it at all. Posturing is so much a part of our lives and we are drawn ever so much into this mask-wearing world where society tells us who we must be, teachers tell us who we must be, peers tell us, parents tell us, we tell us, we imagine ourselves to be uh, legends in our own mind, and we play that legend out in everyday life. But the bottom line is, God made us to be each who we are. And if we try to be somebody else, first of all, we're pretending. And God doesn't know the pretense. If we had read on in Thomas Merton, one of the interesting things is he talks about when we pretend to be somebody we're not, God doesn't know that person. God only knows the real self. So do you want to pretend to be someone God doesn't even know? Or do you want to be the one God made you to be? Because the only person that can play that part is you. 
We're at the tail end of the Gospel of John. You'll remember Jesus cooked breakfast for everybody. And then after Jesus cooked breakfast for everybody, he asked those questions that made Peter really uncomfortable. Do you love me more than these? Well, after that, Jesus goes on for a, a little walk with, uh, with Simon. And he, he, tells him to, uh, he tells him a little bit about how, well, well, we'll begin with that verse, even though it doesn't tie directly to the sermon I'll be preaching this morning. But we'll begin with verse 18 of chapter 21. The truth of the matter is, when you were young, you put on your own belt and walked where you liked. But when you get old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will put a belt around you and take you where you don't even want to go. With these words, Jesus indicated the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then the Savior said, follow me. Peter turned around and noticed that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them, the one who had leaned over during supper and asked, Rabbi, which one will hand you over? Seeing him, Peter was prompted to ask, but what about him, Rabbi? Jesus replied, if I want him to stay behind until I come, what does it matter to you? You're to follow me. This is how the rumor spread among the sisters and brothers that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus had not said to Peter, he won't die, but rather, if I want him to stay behind until I come, what does it matter to you? That this disciple is the one who was an eyewitness to these things and wrote them down. And we know that his testimony is true. What does it matter to you? You know, it's very easy for us to worry about someone else's discipleship, someone else's behavior, someone else's morality, someone else's ethics, any someone else, anyone but ourselves. We are quick to blame other people for our problems, and uh, it's always that person over there. Only the thing that usually bothers us most about the other is the thing that is reflected in them that is most like us. The things that irritate us about ourselves are the things that usually irritate us most about the other. Peter thought he was having a cool moment with Jesus. Although it was a little uncomfortable, Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter, do you love me more than these? Asked three times. That had to make Jesus say, well, I guess Jesus doubts me. He's not going to ask me once. He's going to ask me twice. He's going to ask me three times. But Simon, Peter, and Jesus are taking a walk together. And instead of simply enjoying the walk with Jesus... Simon Peter notices the beloved disciple following along at a distance. And instead of just being in the moment with Jesus, he's distracted by the beloved disciple behind. What's going to happen to him? How come he's following along? 
Why? What's, where, what's, what's, gonna, what's his discipleship going to look like? Instead of, what's my discipleship going to look like? In the end, the only person's discipleship you're responsible for, the only one I'm responsible for, is your own. It's your own. You can decide whether or not you're going to follow in the path of Jesus or not. That's completely on your own. I can preach the most persuasive sermon ever known to human beings. I don't think that that's possible, but let's imagine for a moment that I could. It doesn't matter if you don't decide to put one foot in front of the other yourself. I cannot walk the walk for you. You can't walk the walk for me. You can't talk the talk for me, and I can't talk the talk for you. In the end, discipleship is an invitation to a transformed life, a life that looks different. Now, I just have to tell you, if my life looks exactly like a carbon copy of Linda's, then I have failed in my discipleship. Because I'm not supposed to be Linda, I'm supposed to be James. I'm supposed to be the James God made me to be, just like each of you are meant to be the person you are meant to be. So your discipleship will have a slightly different flavor to it. Sure, it'll taste like love, but it might taste like salty love, or it might taste like Old Bay love, or it might taste like cinnamon love, or it might taste like nutmeg love, or garlicky love. We could go on with all the spices, but every one of us is flavored ever so slightly differently, and we are meant to be. We are meant to be. If you're deciding, we're not meant to be clones. Back in the 80s, when I was first coming to faith, well, I was coming to faith all along. From the time I was born, we're all coming to faith. Whether we ever say yes to it or not, that's another thing. But I, as I came to faith, one, uh, one of the Christian artists at the time, and I was big into Christian music of the 1980s, was Steve Taylor. And he had an album, uh, well, it was really an extended, uh, it was like a five-song album. And the title of the album and the title song on the album was I Want to Be a Clone. And he talked about going to church and everybody wears the exact same uh, suit, or dress, or gloves, or hat, and they try to behave exactly the same as each other because they want to be clones. And God didn't make clones. God made you. God loves the diversity of each one of us. It's the beauty of the world that God made. If you don't think God celebrates diversity, just go outside and look at the birds. No two robins look exactly the same? Oh, sure. They have that sort of burnt orange chest color feathers. But if you look closely at them, they, they're all variations. Would a God who doesn't like diversity not make all of these diverse things, these diverse people? God loves the diversity of all of our skin colors. God loves the diversity of all of our uh, looks and all of our abilities to see. I can't read without these glasses. I can see all of you just fine without them. I could take them back off. 
put them in my pocket. Now I probably need them in a second. I have to put them back on. God loves diversity. Have you seen some of the pictures that are coming back these days from the Hubble telescope or over its whole period of time, different nebula across uh, the universe, different galaxies, and how they're all sort of unique and shaped differently? God loves diversity, not just amongst us, but everywhere, all the time. And part of that diversity is God made each of us to reflect the glory of God in our own unique, personal way. You are a mirror of God. You are a mirror of God. But every mirror reflects an aspect of God differently. To be made in the image of God, I am convinced, is to, be, to bear an aspect of God. God is infinite, and we're limited, finite. So I can't reflect all of God because of my limitations, but I can reflect an aspect of God. I've come to believe that my whole purpose is love. It's yours too. If we're being honest, it's yours too. But for me, it is the proclaiming and living of an infinite preciousness, an unconditional love, and a uniqueness that each of us bears. And that is what I am meant to celebrate and live and lift up to create safe spaces where you can be you. Because that's the only person you can be, unless it's a pretense or a posture or a mask. What would it look like if we could learn to let down our guard just a bit with one another? You know what looks more like church oftentimes than church does? 12-step programs. Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, uh, Sex Addicts Anonymous. You know why they look more like the church? Because people come in there and don't pretend like they're any better than anybody else. They just tell their story. It's a broken story. And guess what? There's not a single one of us in this room or online right now who don't have broken stories. Pieces of your story that are in some way traumatic, tragic even. We all have pieces of a story. And yet sometimes when we show up to be God's people, we polish up the mirror so it looks like everything is good and happy. It's all happy, happy, joy, joy. Yeah, I lost my job. Yeah, I'm about to lose my house. Yeah, I don't have enough food to eat. But yes, happy, happy, joy, joy. I'm glad if you can feel happy, happy, joy, joy when everything's coming apart in your life. But God can embrace your sadness just as quickly as your happy, happy, joy, joy. And God walks with you as much in the sadness as God does in the happy moments. So what would it take for us to be real in the world, authentic, made in God's image and reflecting that image every single day? What would it take for you to be you? 
Well, stop pretending to be somebody you're not. You know, I can always remember what you see is what you get. What you see is what you get. Except what you see isn't what you get for the most part. In life, it's all kind of a bait and switch. It feels that way sometimes. You know, I can, I, I've told you all the story of um, early on. I, I hadn't known Linda all that long, maybe two months. We were writing a paper together about the ethics or the lack thereof of third world debt. How the first world had loaned all this money to countries who would never be able to afford to pay it back and then used their power to do ugly things and to take control essentially of those little countries that were poorer around the world. So we were writing this paper and one, one day, uh, you know, we had been writing this paper, we had been kind of talking to each other, but Linda says to me, so tell me, so how do you feel about me, Linda said. And you know, have you ever gotten that deer in the headlight look? You know, what, uh, what, do, you, what, what do you mean? How do I feel about you? Well, Linda, I value our relationship. Linda did not accept that as a response. <laughs> Linda asked, so what the heck does that mean? And I had to come clean. Well, I think I'm falling in love with you. But that's risky. And that's the kind of discipleship Jesus is interested in. Not the discipleship of a Simon Peter who turns around and says, look, oh, the beloved disciple. Oh, look, the beloved. Tell me about the beloved disciple. What about the beloved disciple? Not what about me. Real discipleship is real. Sometimes we're afraid. Sometimes we're happy. Sometimes we're angry. Sometimes we're frustrated. Sometimes we don't know any better. Sometimes we know a heck of a lot better. But in the midst of it all, it's real. God made you to be you. God made Simon Peter to be Simon Peter. And most of the gospel, he's pretty good at it. Whenever he gets a chance, he just says, whatever comes into his mind. But in this instance, he's trying to compare himself with another disciple. What I want us to ponder together, what I want you to ask yourself this week, this is your assignment, it's my assignment too, is your discipleship, is your following in the path of Jesus, your path, your way of doing it? What is your flavor your spice that you bring to the table. How are you changing the flavor of the world in which we live for the better? That's the path Jesus followed all along and the one he invites us to follow. But we have to get past all of the masking that we do, past all the posturing, past all the peacocking, 
trying to look better than we really are. I trip and fall pretty often. And as I'm getting older, I seem to be more trippy than I used to be. And that's just a part of who I am. I can try hiding it from myself. But I'm still 59 years old, almost 60. Or as Hannah might say, my daughter, almost 70. She likes to round up by at least a decade or two. What would it look like for you to be you? And for me to be me? In the world that God made to be diverse and beautiful. All of you, all of you online, shaped by the infinitely creative creator to be a unique reflection of God. And I will say it one more time because it's important that you hear it and it may not be the last time even today. You are infinitely precious. You. Hear that in the singular. We don't have that in English, unfortunately. You are infinitely precious. You are unconditionally loved. You are made to be you. So be you. That's a gift. And not a gift just for you, but for us. All of us. One of the things we do when we gather in this space is to pray. Uh, I want to invite you to be in prayer for uh, a young woman named Hannah, not my Hannah, my daughter Hannah, who happens to be with us today, but uh, Dan and Janet's niece. Um, she's getting better. Or we hope she's getting better. We feel like she's getting better and being cared for. But I want us to keep her in our prayers. Last weekend I was gone because I was uh, spending some time and celebrating for the last time a group of young adults who happened to be from Appalachia Service Project who are fellows. Uh, there were seven, then six of them the seventh became a full-time employee of Appalachia Service Project, so he was no longer a fellow. But I, wanted, I went away last weekend and we celebrated them. And they're making a transition. Yesterday was the last day that they were each in their centers officially. Um, and so they're transitioning uh, into whatever is next for each of them. So I invite you to be mindful of Gabby and Molly and Katie and Haley and Megan and Manon. And I keep, even though Brendan's a full-time employee, Brendan is on my list as well. I encourage you to keep them in your prayers in this transitional time. I want to pray for the people of Ukraine, but I also want to pray, pray for the people of Buffalo. One young man drives from several hours away and, and kills people at a grocery store for no apparent reason whatsoever. I, I think guns may be the end of us in the United States 
That may be controversial, but I really do think, and particularly white guys with guns, I don't know what to say. I just don't know what to say. But I want us to pray for the folks in Buffalo. That's probably enough for right now. There's a lot of other things going on in the world. We, we have crossed over a million people in the United States who have died um, from COVID. And COVID is still a reality. So I want us to be in prayer for all those who have lost people, particularly the folks who lost people when they couldn't even be with them when they died because they were in isolation. I want to pray that we'll just be a little bit more loving toward each other. That's what I'd like to see us do. We'll begin in a moment of silent prayer. I'll pray out loud for us. And then we will uh, pray the Lord's Prayer together, a version of which will be on the screen behind me, but you can pray any version you want, in any language you want. But let's enter into a moment of silent prayer together. Eternal mystery. We celebrate the diversity that reflects your goodness. All of the different faces, all of the different shades of skin, all of the different people from all walks of life, different places, all of the different kinds of grass and birds and trees and flora and fauna and rocks all of it celebrates your glory in its own way and we want to celebrate that too we want to celebrate how wonderful you see diversity to be we want to celebrate that diversity in our hearts in our minds and in the way we treat each other isn't it great we're all different? Isn't it great that we're all made in your image? Lord, it's when we forget that we're all made in your image that we can feel comfortable attacking each other with our words or with guns or other kinds of weapons. We forget that we're all made in your image. We forget that love is who we are and what we're meant to live, every single one of us. We forget that. Help us to be reminders here on the West End of Alexandria. Help us to love with an open, real heart. We trip sometimes. Usually we try to get up. Sometimes somebody helps us up. You protect us from nothing. 
and yet sustain us in everything. And we are thankful. We hold Hannah up before you now for the wisdom of those who are attending to her care and for herself and all who love her. We pray for people who are making transitions of all kinds in the world. Especially on my heart today are Gabby, Molly, Katie, Haley, Manon, Megan, and Brendan. We pray, O oh God, that in the midst of transition, in the midst of change, in the midst of uncertainty, we might learn to lean on you more and trust you more. Grace upon grace upon grace. Love without end. Thank you so much for loving us into being and continuing to love us even now. God, we lift our prayers in the precious and holy name of Jesus, your son, the same Jesus, who modeled for us a prayer that we use now. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.